What's your favorite underdog story? Everyone loves them. They're timeless and maybe even the best kind of story. There's David slaying Goliath or any number of Hollywood movies. Do you remember cheering for Will Smith as Chris Garner in the pursuit of happiness? And sport lives for them. Remember hockey's famous miracle on ice? Or the Raptors shocking the world to win the NBA championship. Canada, the NBA title is yours! Well, a small town in Canada is on its own underdog journey to stand alongside the big tech hubs of the world. Dubai, Toronto, New York, and Innisfil. Like, we are so punching above our weight. That's Lynn Dolan. She's the mayor of a place called Innisfil in Ontario. And this is a podcast about how it's transforming itself. There's so much opportunity to lead. And I think that the, the benefit for the glory far outweighs any pressure from the skeptics. Innisfil is, is an interesting look at, at kind of risk aversion and also ambition. I think the, the most wonderful things emerge in the most unexpected places. This feels like we are at the beginning of something very big that's happening up here. Hi, my name is Takara Small. I've been covering tech and entrepreneurship for over a decade. Right now you're listening to Tech Town, an original podcast all about rural innovation. First, a little background info, just in case you've never heard of Innisfil. It's a picturesque Canadian town on the shores of Lake Simcoe, about 45 minutes north of Toronto. Green fields, cottage country, that sort of thing. About 37,000 people are spread out across the town, a place people escape to when the big city becomes just a little too much. It's peaceful and quiet, and until recently, wasn't all that newsworthy. But that's all changing, though. Next, we head northeast from Waterloo to Innisfil, Ontario. Drive 60 kilometers north of Ontario's capital city, and you'll find the town of Innisfil. Well, they are calling it the city of the future. Innisfil is a commuter town. North the of town is attracting attention because it's decided to tear up its old rulebook and embrace innovation. It's making a ton of changes to how it operates. For example, it's partnered with Uber to provide a new on-demand version of public transit. It's also the first place in Canada to allow you to pay municipal taxes with Bitcoin. Plus, it's got a really interesting town planning strategy called the Orbit and it has its own accelerator program to attract startups to the sleepy town in rural Ontario. That's just for starters, of course. But what we want to find out is why are they trying to position themselves alongside the big tech hubs of the world, and is it likely to succeed in a small town? Throughout the series, we'll be talking to the key stakeholders in all of this. First, I got together with Mayor Dolan to find out how all this began. If I can tell you where we came from... Um, not that long ago. So in 2009, the province decided they were going to annex a big chunk of Innisfil and give it to our neighboring municipality of Barrie. And at the time, morale was was so low and it was not a good time. We we had trouble hiring good people because nobody knew whether or not we were even going to exist after the annexation. And it was just, we just felt really down. And it was actually, there was a group of people at the time who thought that what we should do is actually change our name and start all over again. And that's how how bad we were feeling and how 
I won't say ashamed of our brand, but certainly not proud of our brand at that time. It always, at that time, Innisfil, um, it, it meant negative. Um, it had a negative perception. And that was just 10 years ago. And if you look at where we've gone, so the first thing that happened from that is the the residents had a bit of a meltdown and said, absolutely not. You're not changing the name of Innisfil. We're proud of where we live. We love where we live. And I think it sparked, if, if nothing else, it sparked the community to say, heck no. And, and that in turn sparked our staff and ourselves to live up to the expectation that our residents had. Against that backdrop, the town first dipped its toes into trying to do things differently with the local library. Back in 2012, the library reinvented itself as more than just somewhere to get books. They brought the hacker mentality from the tech industry, and it's evolved into a community hub where people congregate and develop new skills. It now calls itself the Idea Lab, and Susan Downs was the trailblazer in charge of it all. So because we were risk takers and we tried to push ourselves, we thought about what does a hacker do? And so a hacker could be a cook, you know, trying a recipe and throwing new things in. It doesn't have to be detrimental. But when the library board in the town first heard that I wanted to set up a hacker ethic, they thought that was a little outrageous. But it really is that idea of trying things, making things so that you build skills. So I think that started uh, the initial difference. We had already been very different with our children's programming. We were much more um, uh, involved in how do we reach them from very many different literacy levels and through technology, but also through reading, through that kind of community engagement again. So putting those barriers aside and not worrying about that, I think that was our big difference. We were willing to try new things, and we were the first one in Ontario to have a laser cutter. And again, that was a very big challenge. Libraries would call me and say, how could you do that? That's very dangerous. And I'd say, no, it's not dangerous. This is how you put the safeguards in place. And they would say, how do you get your staff to do this? And I would say, they love it (laughs) because (laughs) they're having fun. (laughs) So I think that programming shift really started to look at what did the community need? We are a rural community. We have been primarily a rural community. And so a lot of the things that you would expect to be able to get in downtown Toronto, you can't get here, or you couldn't. Not once the Hacker Lab opened. Everything that we were doing was far beyond what you could get. We went to Boston, we didn't see it there. We went to Europe, we didn't see it there. We knew that we were doing something really unique for our community, giving them that opportunity that was uh, going to meet the changes in technology for the future. And that's been one of the goals. Attitudes like that make people pay attention. I've noticed the industry chatter building over the last year as people are asking what's going on up in Innisfil and why. And it's not just Toronto. I did a public Q&A with Twitter founder Jack Dorsey last year, and when the subject of Innisfil was raised, he said he wanted to learn more and even visit. I guess we can all get fixed ideas in our heads of what small towns are and where progressive thinking can take place. 
Jason Rayner is one of the strategists behind Innisfil's plans. He's helped explain the why for me. I would say the the genesis is really around necessity. So because we're a small town, uh, we're a small staff, uh, we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, it's not uh, billions of dollars in tax revenue. So we've had to we've had to learn as a community and as an organization that, you know, supports the community as the town, um, how to sort of get what we want without going through the sort of typical bureaucratic, uh, very costly kind of work because we just don't have the money or the people to do that kind of work. Um, so we've been looking for and, and have explored different kinds of partnerships, you know, with startups or tech companies um, that help us get where we want to get to, but don't follow the same kind of traditional path, um, in large part because we can't afford it. Um, and uh, and it seems to have, seems to have, we've seem to have found a real, um, kind of a niche place where because we're a small enough town that we're um, not super bureaucratic, we don't have 23 layers of bureaucracy or authority that you have to sign off on before you can do anything. Um, uh, no disrespect to my, you know, bigger city colleagues, um, but we can move pretty fast. We're pretty agile. We're pretty flexible. We've got a progressive council and a progressive community. And so when we make a decision, like we can do it tomorrow. Like we don't have to, we don't have to wait, you know? Um, and that seems to have been uh, a real advantage to us as we look at partnering to deliver different kinds of services. It kind of sounds like you're a startup trying to make your own way. Do you see Innisfil as a startup? Yeah, totally. Especially as we sort of think about what we want to be like when we grow up, sort of quote unquote. Um, I feel like we're very much like a startup. We're moving fast. We are making mistakes along the way. We're learning from them. Um, and uh, we're, we've got big aspirations, right? Like we want, uh, we want to get a lot of the benefits that come with sort of the bigger city um, uh, feel, but not give up the stuff that we think is really important for a community. But why are you deciding to do all of this right now? Yeah, so um, Innisfil is at this really interesting kind of precipice point where it's growing and people are moving into Innisfil um, in part because of the proximity to the GTA and part because of the, the community aspects and the sort of recreational green space that people are really enjoying. Um, but we also know that we don't want to grow and and become just another suburbia of Toronto. And I won't name any specific municipalities that are around Toronto, but if you look at them, what they were like 50 years ago, uh, you know, just photos of farm fields and this kind of stuff, and then what they are today, a lot of them are just sprawling subdivisions um, where people all have to commute somewhere to work. And we're saying, you know, maybe there's a different pathway. You know, maybe we can help bring the jobs uh, uh, sort of of the future, quote unquote, to Innisfil um, so that people can telecommute or they can, you know, be in Toronto if they have to, but otherwise they can be working in a place that they really, uh, they really enjoy. That kind of thinking has turned heads further afield, too. The town has generated headlines both nationally and globally. One of the journalists who's been looking at what the town is doing is Leyland Checo. He writes for The Guardian, a daily newspaper located in the UK. A few months ago, a friend of mine had mentioned that there was a town north of Toronto that was um, experimenting with the idea of using Uber as their taxi service. And it seemed like kind of a one-off idea, you know, one of those kind of flash in the pan, small town tries to make a headline type of story. And then I started talking to friends who are urban planners 
And it felt like it was a much bigger story about the future of public transport in rural settings. And so I reached out to the photographer who had kind of put me on this. And we decided, you know what, best way to report on this is to drive up to Innisfil. Were you surprised by what you found and what you saw there? I didn't really know what to expect. We went, we, we, we did what I often do when you go to a small town, which is you just look for the Tim Hortons and you just set up shop in the parking lot. And we really had no clear idea other than some meetings that we'd set up with, with city officials of how we were going to kind of go about reporting this. And within five or six minutes, a number of Ubers just kind of pulled into the parking lot and we went up to the drivers and, and just, you know, asked if they'd be willing to have a chat. Um, and so in terms of kind of what we were expecting, I think I went in with an open mind. I'd spoken with friends who, as I mentioned, were, were urban planners and kind of had some perspectives. But, you know, as a reporter, I just wanted to see what it looked like in reality. So I'm curious, what was the town's response to Uber in all of these developments? Pretty much everyone I spoke with was pretty excited about the fact that Uber was their public transit system. I think there was on the one hand, you know, the novelty of it, it, it kind of put Innisfil on the map and, and, and that map being kind of, you know, it was the subject of a number of news stories. People were chattering about it. It was on the radio. Um, so on, on the one hand, you know, people were talking about Innisfil. On the other hand, people were excited about the idea that they could take transit for the first time um, in, in a number of years because there, there were no buses there. Uh, you know, there's taxis, but but kind of a, a transit system that purported to serve the needs of, of what a transit system does, moving people from point A to B, felt like a pretty big development for the community. So were you at all surprised by the response to your article? I think the public response made sense. In We saw little kind of... Um, hints that this was kind of a bigger story than we might have realized when when the city mentioned that other municipalities around the world had been reaching out to them to get a sense of of kind of how they'd structured their program it suggested that probably there was like this pent-up interest and appetite for you know this is this intersection of kind of we often face questions of of transit right the ttc is always in the news we're trying to figure out how do we improve it what's going wrong fare increases how do we manage fare evasion you know, these are questions that often are, 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 are discussions. And on the other hand, we have questions about Uber all the time. You know, should they be allowed in cities? What should the requirements be? And it felt as though it was this intersection between two things that really rile us up or really interest us. And, and I think so this idea that a town had just said, you know what, we're going to make Uber or public transit felt like it, it kind of elided two separate um, and two very kind of, um, you know, ideas that are, are rife for, for kind of discussion. Next episode, we're going to have that discussion and so much more. Why has the town gone down this route of outsourcing public transit to Uber? And how exactly is this supposed to help the town? We'll talk in more detail of what that process looks like and how residents benefit. We did not anticipate kind of a global reaction to this partnership. Which, which was interesting and also created a whole bunch of, uh, you know, pressure um, to make sure that this was something that was sustainable. This is a story about a small town with big ambition. And what it does here could determine the direction of other small communities across the country. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.